0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. When I was a kid, I was really short. And I was so convinced that my height was the one thing holding me back from true greatness Uh, maybe there were other things but i was sure it was my height i was really short Um, to make matters worse i went to a school with a lot of dutch kids and there were giants like here's a here's a school picture (laughs) a class picture they would always stick me on the end um, the girls in grade four were like six feet tall, and then it would go like me on the end. In fact, you look like my hair is probably accounting for four inches of that height there anyways. Like I was so short, and, and I know you're amazed at the hair, but just focus, okay? Um, so I, I was so short. I'm going to take that picture off now because there's some of you know people in there, and they'll get mad at me if it's on the internet now. They had this thing called Canada Fitness and uh, they would never do this now, but what they used to do is they'd have like, I think, 10 different categories of fitness, long distance running, short distance running, uh, long jump, running, long jump, all this stuff, and you could achieve bronze, silver, or excellence at a level, not compared to other people, but there were standards of, of excellence, right? And I would get excellence except in every category except standing long jump, because I was so short. Like, I just couldn't. I'm like, what do you mean, I don't get a running start? I have to jump? I never got it. It drove me crazy. High jump. I mean, the people like people would leap like gazelles. I, I, some of my classmates could clear the mat. I was sort of just running towards this thing going, this pole is going to go through my head right now. Uh, it was horrible. And that, and, and that was, I was convinced, was holding me back from true greatness. What about you? What is holding you back? from true greatness. Uh, Many of us think, um, you know, if I could just have uh, more opportunity, some of us think opportunity is what's holding me back from true greatness. Like I see other people get opportunities at jobs or to get into programs or to try out for such and such a team. Um, Doors seem to open for them. If only I could get noticed, if only I could get an interview, if only I could get a tryout. I know I could prove it. I just need the opportunity. Other people seem to have them. I don't. That's what's holding me back from true greatness. Some of us would say, well, it's my education, or, or my lack of education, or I studied the wrong thing, or I didn't study long enough, or I didn't study at all. Um, education, if I was only you know, smarter that way, uh, if, I had, if my parents could have afforded to send me to this school or that school or that degree, if I could have studied further or done a master's, or I should have, or you know, I couldn't afford to, that's what's holding me back now. Some of us would say, well, it was my family background, my family pedigree. You know, other people's families, the name, their last name opened doors for them, or they had wealth passed on to them, or they got to take over the family business. I didn't, my family didn't give me anything except bad DNA or whatever, short genes. Uh, that's what I got from my family. That's what's holding me back. Um, some of us think family background. Others of us might think, well, talent. <laughs> like, I'm just short on talent. Um, I don't have enough of it. I'm just not good enough. Like, well, how do those people seem to naturally be able to do X and Y? They're just naturally more athletic. They're just naturally better speakers. They're naturally more uh, entrepreneurial. They're naturally good with numbers. Like, I don't have the natural talent. That's what's holding me back. Others of us would say it's, it's our body that's holding us back. I, I'm not strong enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not nice looking enough. I'm not healthy enough. I got chronic health issues. That's what's holding me back from greatness. But we should all just check ourselves, even though we all kind of think that way in some shape or form, because history is littered with the lives of people who had all of those things and yet whose life resulted in anything but greatness. Even though they may have achieved what we would call something great or uh, exceptional or famous, that their inside of their lives over time or in the end was proved to be not great at all, or their relational life was in chaos, or just other things you say, no, it wasn't great at all. And, and not just 2,000 years of history. In fact, if you go through all of Scripture, you know, which goes back several thousands of years, um, in, in the book that explains to us who God is and who we are, the lives of all kinds of different people from different classes and ethnic backgrounds and walks of life and um, male, female, like young and old. We see people who were pursuing, um, who thought greatness was all of those things, and maybe even added to the list, like we talked about last week, people who had good good um, behavior or good morals or who did good things or people who had great faith. Like it add that to the list, and yet still failed to be truly great. Like that wasn't the thing that was holding them back from greatness. So you might say, "Okay, well, great." So like. So what's the solution going into 2021? Just don't don't try to do anything. Don't attempt anything. Just keep a low profile. Just don't be noticed. Don't have any ambition. Don't have any goals. Don't point yourself in any direction. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because God actually has a perspective on greatness that is really important for us to know as we head into this year. And it's actually why we're in this series that we started last week. And one of the things we'll find is that according to God and the writers of the scriptures, something else is holding us back from true greatness. Something other than opportunity, education, family pedigree, talent, beauty, goodness, faith, something else, something other than all of those things. We began uh, last week reading in what is going to be our guide for this series as a portion of a letter that the Apostle Paul, one of the earliest and most influential followers of Jesus, wrote, listen, to a young church in the city of Corinth, which is an isthmus off the the southwest uh, coast of Greece, a part of Greece, Um, and it was part of the Greek Empire and moved to, to part of the Roman Empire in ancient times. And Corinth was a place where people were running hard after all of those things, Um, wealth and power and beauty and success. It was also part of the Greco-Roman culture that valued the body for its athletic ability, valued the body for its beauty, and valued the mind for its philosophy and its sharpness. And so um, Greco-Roman culture and Corinth itself was all about all of those things that we would say amount to or open the doors, if you will, to greatness. And last week we explored the fact that, like, even in the church that um, that Paul was writing to, there were arguments. They were part of this culture, but they were also competing with and comparing to each other in respect of things like goodness and acting great, and not just having these other definitions of greatness, but also moral goodness or spiritual excellence, if you will, great faith. And in the middle of that whole conversation, Paul drops this bomb on them and says, "You know what? None of that matters." If you don't have love and he made this assertion, the statement to them that love is greater than everything. And the reason he gave for it is this love is greater than everything because everything else is nothing if you don't have love. And I said to you last week, Paul was just explaining, this is the way the world works. You know this from your own life. Even if you're not a person of faith, even if you've never read the Bible before, even if you've never read this verse before, you know, like I just explained, it's possible to have all those other things and yet not truly be great because of a lack of love. Like a love to be a loving person on the inside and in your relationships. Without that, some of those other things can actually result in chaos. And that's why Paul makes the argument, love is greater than everything. Because without love, everything else is nothing. Therefore, it's the greatest thing. But if that's true, like, what is love? Baby don't hurt. I'm just going to sing it every week because I asked the worship team whether they would do that, and they said no. So, anyways, what is love? It's got to be more than a feeling or more than an idea. Because if, if Paul says, and we agree that, yeah, this is the more important thing to have than anything else, we need to know what is it. It must be more than feelings. It must be more than some idea or ideal. And the rest of this section of Corinthians that we're looking at over these eight weeks <clears throat> explains what love actually is. And I want you to listen today as Tanya Buchan from our VON site explains to us the beginning of Paul's argument for, uh, to help us understand what love really is. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. In this scripture, as Paul begins to explain to his listeners and to us what love is, he uses a word that is really important. And and it actually is the key for us understanding, I think, all the rest of the descriptors of what love is. And so that's why we're beginning with it here. It's a word, actually, that is the opposite of what love is. The word is pride. Pride is the opposite of love, not hate, pride. Now I know it's sometimes not helpful to define something by saying what it isn't, but in this case, this actually is really helpful for us. Now when I say the word "pride," <clears throat> it's easy for us to think of pride as arrogance, a boastfulness, you know, an attitude that says, "I'm good." Uh, you know, uh, in my day, we said, I'm all that. My kids' day, we say, Yeah, you flex. This is what you're flexing about. People who flex. They're arrogant. They're all about what they look like, what they sound like, who they know, where they've been, how much they have, what they wear, all of those things. It's easy for us to see, or maybe you think synonymously arrogance and pride. Like when someone, if you say, so That's a proud person, you think they're boastful. They're arrogant. They're all about themselves. They're a, I'm good kind of person. And that's true. That's one way that pride looks, but actually the opposite of arrogance is also pride. And that is insecurity. Insecurity says, I- I'm no good. Insecurity hates being in the limelight. hates having any attention. Insecurity cannot accept any compliment or praise. Insecurity is constantly afraid of being rejected or assuming that one will be rejected. Insecurity is constantly saying, "How did I come across today? Are they going to like me?" Um, insecurity worries and constantly compares to others and feels that they fall short. That's insecurity. And we don't think of that as pride, but it is. It's the opposite end of the spectrum, but both arrogance and insecurity are are proud. Why? Because pride is an obsession with self. Pride is an obsession with self and the person who is boastful and arrogant and all about themselves and says I'm good and draws attention to themselves and the person who is insecure, who doesn't want to be noticed, who is um, constantly afraid of failing or feeling like they missed the mark, they are also obsessed with themselves. Either way, both in arrogance or insecurity is an obsession, a preoccupation with self. And that's what makes pride so deadly, right? Because it can grow In success and in failure. You can succeed and grow in arrogance and be more proud. You can fail and grow in insecurity and be more proud. Why? Either way, whether in success or failure, the temptation is to obsess with self to a greater and greater degree. And that's why pride is so deadly. Success or failure can allow it to grow. And it can be at home. It can be found on the basketball court, in the boardroom, in the school, in the bar, and in the cathedral. There is no place and no person that it respects. It can be found anywhere, and that's why it's so deadly. Pride, this preoccupation with self. And as we understand what it is, the Apostle Paul goes on to give us another word that expands on this idea of pride in, this, in, in another statement he makes about what love isn't that helps us understand it even more. He says, love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. And this is connected to the idea of pride. Now, the word seeking, is the Greek word used there is zeteo, which means to desperately and earnestly search for or seek after. That's what the word seeking, that's what the Greek word zeteo means. Now, if, if you're familiar or not with some of Jesus' teachings, he told a couple of stories where he used the word zeteo. He talked about a woman who was a widow who therefore probably in those days would have been a, in a difficult financial situation, who lost a very valuable coin that was worth a lot of money. And Jesus said, "She Zeteo, she looked for it desperately because she needed it. Or he said there was a man who had a hundred sheep and he lost a sheep. And he desperately looked for and searched for, that's that word zateo, to find that sheep because it was valuable to him. That's the word that Paul uses. <laughs> and yet he says, love is not someone who desperately searches and seeks for and looks for and looks out for themselves. That's pride, an obsession with self. Someone who desperately seeks, earnestly looks for and looks out for oneself. This is what expands this idea of pride to self-seeking. And both the person who is arrogant and the person who is insecure and all of us who are a little bit of both and in between in various ways are doing that, we are preoccupied, we are searching for, looking for, desperately clinging to ourselves. And we look for any opportunity and advantage or whatever it is, or our whole world is preoccupied with the self. He said that is the opposite of love. Why? Because love is fundamentally about others. Pride, self-seeking, is fundamentally about oneself. And here's the thing, Pride is not just the opposite of love. It's not just this sort of deadly, kind of innocuous thing that sits underneath the surface or seemingly thing, but it it actually uh, affects all of our relationships. It can also sabotage love. And by that, I mean, pride can get in the way of us being able to show love and us being able to receive love. And and let me give you a couple of examples of how this works. And maybe these examples seem strange, or maybe (laughs) I'm reading your mail. Either way. Now, let's suppose... I am an amazing cook, which I'm not. I love to cook, but let's suppose I'm amazing at it. And I am, I am like uh, someone who is, uh, I read all the magazines about entertaining. And so my home is decorated perfectly. Just the touches, the lighting, the, the, the art, the atmosphere, the entryway when you come in. And if I invite you over and all of the food is going to be done perfectly. The latest recipes, I've got all the wines paired perfectly. And the smell of the house is, is perfect. If I invite you over to my house, but I have arrogance or insecurity in me, the food won't taste good. Like it might taste good, but you will not enjoy it. Why? Because throughout that meal, if I'm an arrogant person, all of the touches and the recipe and the pairings and everything that looks and smells just so is going to be all about me. And you're going to feel like it's all about me. Um, I, you're not going to be prioritized and that I am and, and you might even feel bad about yourself and about your cooking and about your home and whatever because I'm, I'm doing something but arrogance is what's leading the way and that pride is getting in the way of me actually being able to love you. I can't show love because my pride is getting in the way. Or if I'm insecure, I'll be so worried about whether you like it and I'll be asking too many questions. I might even overfeed you, God forbid. I I, I might not even sit down with you and look you in the eye and ask you a question, how are you doing? Because I'm all about, are you having a good time? Did everyone get enough to eat? And did I cook it? And am I being, do, do people like me? So my insecurity is actually getting in the way. You won't feel loved even if you felt fed. See how pride can get in the way? It can sabotage love. But it can also sabotage our ability to receive love. Now think about this. Imagine you have this friend who is so generous and so good at giving gifts, and she just loves you. And she shows up at your door at 4.30 on Christmas Eve with an amazing gift. And you're like, no, no. What? We, we didn't talk about, it. like, if you're, if you're proud, if you're arrogant or insecure, you are not, you're going to receive it, but you are not going to feel loved. You're going to be like, we, we didn't, we don't normally, how come she didn't, I didn't know she was going to give me, honey, are you still at the store? Get me the best bottle of wine and some cruddy flowers. That you can, Like, you're going to feel, oh no, like, and if you're arrogant, you're going to think, wait, we, we didn't talk about this, and now, now I have to, like, she's shown me up, now I better, and uh, now you're going to be thinking of all the gifts you gave her, or the card you sent her, or you, whatever, like, You made a paper mache ornament for her or something. You're like, no. Or if you're insecure, you'll feel ashamed. Oh, embarrassed. Like, oh, I can't. And you'll feel indebted. So you'll be annoyed. You'll be frustrated. You'll maybe feel ashamed. You'll maybe feel kind of offended. You'll be like, oh, resentful. (laughs) But you won't feel loved. You will miss the opportunity to receive the love that that person wanted to give you by giving you a beautiful gift. See, friends, this is how, man, love is, it's, uh, pride is so uh, tricky and like deadly, right? Not only is it everywhere and it can, it can breed and grow in success or failure, but it also can sabotage our ability to show love and our ability to receive love. And, and it can get in the way of everything that's going on. So how do we deal with this? Well, God in his goodness and mercy gives us a gift to be able to deal with pride in our lives. You know what that gift is? The people we relate to on a regular basis. <laughs> Relationships are the key. And this was the context where Paul was writing to a community of people in relationship with each other. Why? First of all, it's a gift because being in a relationship with people starts to expose our pride. <laughs> when we are around other people, we start to realize how self-seeking we really are. A- a- when two self-seeking people get married, well, what happens? You, and and every, peop- every couple who gets married are two self-seeking people. You realize suddenly how much of yourself is in competition, how it is so easy and natural for you to look out for yourself. And in fact, some of the difficulties and conflicts we have are actually because of our self-seeking attitude, whether in friendship or marriage or in the church or with family. And, and it shows up in the everyday life of relationships. I want you to watch even in, in this everyday Situation.
1: First, there was PlayStation, aka PS1. Then there's PS2, PS3, and now PS4. And that makes sense. You'd think after Xbox, there'd be Xbox 2. But no. Next came Xbox 360. Hmm? And now, after 360, comes Xbox One. <laughs> Why One? Maybe that's how many seconds of thought they put into naming it. <laughs>
0: Can you get the butter, please?
1: Yeah. However, with the Xbox One, I can control my entire entertainment system using voice commands. Up until now, I've had to use Leonard.
0: <laughs> then get the other
1: one. Pass the butter. Get, hang on. I don't feel like you're taking this dilemma seriously.
0: Fine, Sheldon. You have my undivided attention.
1: Okay, now, the PS4 is more (laughs) angular and sleek-looking. No
0: way!
1: It's true. But the larger size of the Xbox One may keep it from overheating. Well, you wouldn't want your gaming system to overheat. No, see, you absolutely would not. And furthermore, the Xbox One now comes with a Kinect included. Included?! Yes! Not sold separately. Although the PS4 uses cool new GDDR5 RAM, while the Xbox One is still using the conventional DDR3 memory.
0: Why would they still be using DDR3? Are they nuts?
1: (laughs) See, that's what I thought. But then they go and throw in an ES RAM buffer. Wait wait, wait a second. Who's they? Xbox. You're kidding! No, I (laughs) am not. Ram buffers should totally bridge the 100-gigabit-per-second bandwidth gap between the two RAM types. This is a nightmare. How will you ever make a decision? You see, I don't know. What should I do? Please pass the buyer! Thank you again for dinner. You're welcome. Good
0: night. Uh, it's date night. Aren't you, uh, forgetting something? Oh, of
1: course. <laughs> Did I mention the PS4 controllers light up?
0: <laughs> no.
1: Well, they do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny, right? The, the everyday people that we do life with, and people we're closest to in relationships, one of the very first things you will find is that the source of your conflict with them, the source of your annoyance with them, might first and foremost be because you are a self-seeking person. Because I am a self-seeking person. What we want to blame on other people or blame on our circumstances or blame on how they're acting actually could be that it is bringing out the instinct that we have to desperately look for and seek for and search for ourselves, our well-being, our benefit or just the obsession we have with ourselves. It's so interesting, when Jen and I got married, we discovered pretty early on that she and I both occupied the opposite ends of the spectrum of pride. I, I know this is very hard for you to imagine, but I I was arrogant. I still am, in many ways. She was insecure. And so she would say to me, so you walk into a room, and you just assume people want to talk to you. I'm like, yeah. She said, well, I just assume people don't want to talk to me. You, you walk into a room and you hold court telling stories and you're assuming that everybody wants to listen to everything you have to say. She's like, I, I think I have nothing to say. And, and we sort of laughed about it, but we realized that was actually a problem in both of our lives. It was affecting both of our relationships with other people, but it was also affecting our relationship with each other. But I didn't realize it until I got into a relationship with someone so close to me that started to point out how I valued my opinions about things more than I valued her opinions about things. Um, I remember even in like the, the first month we were married, this is so bad. It was Friday night, and she said, oh, what are we doing tonight? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm going out with my friends. She's like, what? I said, yeah, I made some plans to go out. She's like, what, what am I going to do? I'm like, oh, well whatever you want to do. It's like, you didn't think to tell me you were going out, so I'm, I'm better now, like 19 years later. But like, why? Well, it was just an orientation of self that I just had and I imported into my marriage. And a lot of conflict comes and we op- occupy different ends of the spectrum. Well, God has had to work. First of all, the relationship just revealed that pride was even an issue in both of our lives. In my case, more on the side of, of arrogance, in her case, more on the side of insecurity. And God inviting us to say, that's why relationships are a gift. You don't really realize that about yourself until you're in close relationship with someone and pride rears its ugly head. But here's how the gift works in a second way. The other people God has put in our lives are not just ones who help us see that we are proud. They are other people given to us so that God can say, I want you to seek their good. I want you to seek after their gain. I want you to think about how you can use the circumstances of your life to benefit them. (laughs) They are the gifts. Think these ones. I, don't, I, want, I want to draw you away from the self-seeking perspective that you have, and I want to put other people in front of you, in relationship with you, who actually, in order to have any kind of healthy relationship with them, you are going to have to seek their benefit, their good. You are going to be able to get to know and love and serve the others in your life. This is the gift that God gives us. This actually changes, right, how we see our relationships entirely. That people are not just, as someone said, like that the supporting actors and actresses and props in the movie about me, <laughs> where I am the center stage and the lead actor and up for best actor role and everyone else is there. To, no, that's not how we see our lives anymore. That like God says, no, I've actually given you people in your life to begin to help you realize where there is arrogance or insecurity or both and... I am inviting you to see even the conflicts, even the difficult relationships or the sticking points with the people that you love that you keep butting heads with as opportunities to stop seeking yourself and to begin to seek their gain. This is the gift. I might say, okay, that's great. Um, how do we really do that? Like, is it really possible to fight the inclination, the bent, the gravitational pull? To, I'm telling you, I don't know who taught me to seek myself. I think I just learned it by myself. Like, that's what happens. That's how we come into the world. That is the mark of what the scriptures call sin in our lives. We seek ourselves. How do we actually change that? Well, the answer for you might be really unlikely and unexpected, but it's beautiful. You know, when Jesus came to this earth, you know what he said? He said, I, he called himself the son of man, I came to, and he used this word, seek and save the lost. That's that word, zeteo. Jesus said, I came into this world to desperately search for and seek after you and me. This is how God divine, de- defines himself as one who has come into our world not to seek himself, but to desperately search for, look for, and look out for you and me. And this is the game changer for us in love. This is why Paul was even able to write this to this new Corinthian church, this group of Jesus followers saying, Jesus has set the bar. Jesus has changed the game for us. Now we are not just left to ourselves to this self-seeking bent, but Jesus has come. How? I want to tell you how the life of Jesus and in particular, the death of Jesus is a game changer for us when it comes to dealing with both our arrogance and our insecurity. You see, on the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross which has now become the symbol of Christianity, but even more so the symbol of Jesus himself and his self-sacrificing love. Do you know what the cross of Christ does to our arrogance? It confronts us with this truth. You are not able to save yourself. Right? The death of Jesus Christ on the cross confronts an arrogant spirit and says, you aren't good enough to save yourself. I had to die I came to find you. I left heaven to come down to earth, to come into your world, to save you because you could not save yourself. The cross of Jesus Christ rescues us from arrogance and it sends, it brings us down to earth and saying you could not have saved yourself. And at the same time, the cross of Jesus Christ rescues us from insecurity by saying I desperately searched for, looked for and loved you. Not only does it pull us down out of arrogance, it lifts us up out of insecurity to say, you are of utmost importance to the one of utmost importance. Jesus said, I came to seek and save you. I have desperately looked for and searched for and loved you. And all at once, the cross of Jesus Christ pulls us out of arrogance and insecurity and says, you are dearly loved. That's why the beauty of Jesus, for me, is the one thing, is our one hope to transform us out of this um, bent for self-seeking pride, to say, you can love because you are loved. And so in light of that, I want to give you two really practical And really simple, not easy, but simple, like as in not hard to understand, just hard to do, things that you can begin to do to actually, in the power of Jesus, move in the direction of serving and seeking out for others. And the first one is this. I want you to think about or reflect on either your last or your next conversation with someone that you regularly relate with. Okay, could be a family member, could be a friend, could be a spouse, could be someone you work alongside a lot um, in your life. I want you to think about the last conversation or when you're in the next conversation, think about this and ask yourself these questions How much talking did I do? Did I dominate the conversation? And maybe an even better way to think about this is what was my uh, question to statement ratio? (laughs) Like, did I ask more questions than I made statements? And, and, and by questions, I don't mean, hey, what's wrong with you? Why would you think that? No, like legitimate questions I really want to know. Am I more often, when I do speak, asking questions to really listen and understand, or am I making statements about the other person, about myself, about the world? Do I dominate the conversation? Am I dominating it with statements about myself, or am I actually stopping long enough to listen and to ask good questions? What's my question-to-statement ratio? And lastly, how much do I know, really know, about their story, about their family, about their emotions, and about their concerns? Like, do I really know, though? I might know, oh, yeah, they're married, or they're single, or they're divorced, or they have, uh, you know, this uh, sibling, or they like this sport. But do I really know what's going on in their lives? I probably won't, unless I've stopped long enough to ask them questions. And so that's the first thing I just want you to think about. Become more aware (laughs) of the dynamics of the conversations you have in your relationships. And the second thing is, this is scary, ask a friend or a family member, someone who's gonna be honest with you, on a scale of one to 10, how good of a listener am I? Ask somebody close to you, on a scale of one to 10, how good of a listener am I? And you know those surveys when it says, rank between one and 10, and then it says, please explain your answer? You need to add that, okay, please explain. (laughs) If someone says, oh, yeah, no, you're a five, oh, five is like, please explain. That means they didn't wanna tell you the truth, right? ask them to be honest with you. Where do I lean and why? And have a good conversation. Why? We want to become more aware, right? Relationships are God's gift to us to become more aware of how pride might be at work. And they're also there for us to have people that we can love and know and serve. Now, this is hard to do. Not simple to understand, but it's hard to do and kind of scary to do. What happens when we do this? Well, C.S. Lewis, uh, when he was describing the character quality of humility, which is a lot of what this is, he said humility isn't thinking less of ourselves, you know, because that would just be insecurity, oh, I'm bad or whatever. He said it's thinking of ourselves less. One person coined the phrase blessed self-forgetfulness, like I've just forgotten myself, I'm not thinking about myself, I'm thinking about others. It's like when you get lost in a hobby or something you really enjoy doing and you lose track of time. You've lost yourself in it. The hours go by. You're so delighted and involved and enamored with whatever you're doing. You lose yourself in it, right? We talk about that. Imagine what it would be like to begin to grow in being able to lose ourselves in the best sense of the word because we are more preoccupied with others than we are with ourselves. That is the joy and delight that is promised to us. And so that's what I want to bless you with as you go out this week and and bravely try to think about your last conversation or your next conversation, as you ask yourself these honest questions about statement-to-question ratios, and uh, as you ask the people in your life, how good of a listener am I, that you would begin to experience the blessing of self-forgetfulness. That what you find out would not cause you to feel guilty or ashamed or anything, because Jesus has freed you from that, but that he is inviting you into the blessing of forgetting yourself as you begin to learn to seek after and love.